Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a Friday edition of the Fenway Rundown podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo, alongside Sean McAdam, as always. And today, as we wrap up a busy week for one member of our staff, Chris Smith, we're going to dig deep into the prospect rankings he has blessed MassLive.com with over the last few days. Chris has run that series on the site. You've now heard three podcasts. And what is the final member of the trio of ways you can find our coverage, Sean? Please let the good people know. That would be the Red Sox Insider Text Program, Christopher, which you can join by simply texting the word join 617-751-6257 and click on the link. You are afforded a free 14-day trial period after which... For the low, low price of $4.99 monthly, you get to ask us questions, react to things on the site, contribute to the podcast, and all manner of things. So join us on Red Sox Insider Text. On Wednesday morning, shortly before the news broke publicly, we gave our Insider Text subscriber a heads up. Subscribers, there's not just one guy, we promise. Uh, a heads up about the... News that the Red Sox were dropping a Netflix documentary. That's kind of been probably the biggest Red Sox news of the week. Uh, second straight week, completely off the field that that's been the case. Um, and that was met with uh, some side eyes, I think. So I do want to start there before we get. I would have gone with the word derision. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, it's, you know, young, old, whatever. Um, the people seem to think that this is yet another kind of sideshow distraction, just like Theo Epstein was last week. For those who missed it, the Red Sox and Netflix have agreed to do an all-access documentary that will chronicle the entire 2024 season. Starts next week with filming in Fort Myers. You know, I know there's differences. I know it's not coming out in real time. I do think an okay way to put it is hard knocks for baseball with a delayed release. You know, we've seen some of these uh, Netflix documentaries. You guys aren't golf people like I am, but Full Swing was pretty good. Drive to Survive, the F1 series, all that type of stuff. Uh, Smitty, you're going to get a lot of run when we talk about prospects, so I'll start with Sean here. Your reaction to this, Sean, and uh, what fans really should make of it, the awkward timing, all that? Well, it's very hard to know exactly what we're going to get here because it is simply in the planning stages at this point. As you noted, the first filming won't begin until next week or the week after as uh, the team begins to report to spring fee, uh, to to uh, spring training in Fort Myers. And the fact that there is going to be such a long editing and turnaround process makes it difficult to know exactly what we're going to get. I think one of the beauties, you mentioned Hard Knocks, Chris, one of the beauties of Hard Knocks is how quickly that gets turned around 
by, I guess there's some NFL films involvement there. Maybe, I don't know. It ends up airing on HBO, but some of that stuff is like 24 or 48 hours old by the time it shows up on HBO on that week's episode. So if someone got cut in training camp, you see that news being delivered 48 hours later. This is going to be months and months later. So it's hard to know what that narrative is going to look like. I think it has the potential to be very interesting. Anytime you get a behind the scenes look at uh, the goings on with the team, I think most people are going to find that interesting. I think even the three of us who are around the team year round are going to see things that we don't usually see. They're going to have more access than credentialed media usually does. They're going to be uh, embedded traveling with them, uh, sometimes following some of the players home. Those are obviously things we do not do. So I think it has the potential to be pretty interesting. My question is the lag time and what does that do to the narrative and how interesting is this as Adam Grossman termed it kind of an evergreen uh, project where you're watching something that could be 10, 11 months old by the time you get around to watching it. That's what I'm interested to see how they handle. Yeah. I don't think that this is for, you know, mainly or exclusively for your diehard Red Sox fan who kind of, you know, they're going to watch that in any way because it's going to come out next February. But I don't think the goal is like, oh, they made this trade in June. I can't wait to see how it actually played out in February. You know, I think it's more for a wider general audience where you get to know some of the personalities. I think obviously Casas, I would assume, is a big part of it. And, um, you know, we've seen these kind of stars, uh, you know, not to go all golf fan on you guys again, but like, you know, a guy like Joel Damon on the PGA documentary, people, you know, kind of fell in love with because of his kind of quirky, you know, kind of persona. He's not the best golfer in the world. You two probably haven't even heard of him, but just watching full swing as I did, like that was a big piece of it. And I think that's going to be part of it too. The one thing I will say, I think fans are really getting on the Red Sox as always for, um, you know, not having the foresight to maybe line this up with what projects to be a better season. I, I see both sides of that. You know, as we know, they've talked about this for a few years now, two or three years. They've talked about, you know, the possibility. There's been a lot of hoops to jump through. They had to meet with players last spring um, to get the approval and talk it through what it's going to look like. They had to talk to guys who aren't even on the team anymore about it. Um, and so it took a long time to, for them to get to this point. I do think, though, with that in mind, knowing that the microscope is going to be even more on them, that more people are going to see them, like maybe there could have been – a little more foresight into, well, the whole world's going to be watching. Let's be competitive in 2024. And I think your previous theory, Sean, about a potential disconnect between Tom Werner, the TV guy, the showman, and John Henry, who ultimately sets the budget, to me, it speaks to that a little bit. That's a little conspiracy theory. But, um, you know, it's just it's not the best look that it's happening in a year where they're probably not going to be competitive. But when they started this project, they probably didn't foresee how 2024 would be going, you know, three years in the future. Right. And, you know, the other thing that is a valid criticism that we've already noticed this week on social media is that a lot of fans would prefer 
for them to pay attention to improving the product on the field rather than the brand of the team, which ultimately is what this series is all about. They can say it's promoting the game. They can say it's giving a platform to players to promote themselves. But ultimately, uh, this had to be signed off in addition to the Players Association by the commissioner's office and the Red Sox. And the Red Sox are the canary in the coal mine here. I would imagine they're going to try to do this on a yearly basis if it's at all successful. Um, but Red Sox fans have a right to ask while they're putting a lot of effort or at least some effort into planning this and having it roll out over the next few months. Where is the attention and detail paid to the roster and making the team on the field better? Smitty, you're going to have the floor for most of this pod as we go through your prospects, but your thoughts on the documentary and kind of the reaction to it the last couple of days? Yeah, I just, I don't, you know, if, if you're going to have a bad team, which they probably are, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to finish last place, but they've finished last place three of the past four years and their roster, you know, on paper isn't as good as last year. I just don't understand why anybody would want to, you know, rehash that and watch it next February. I mean, if you were doing it in real time, you know, cranking it out like uh, hard knocks, it doesn't matter if the team's good. It doesn't matter if the team's bad. Actually, sometimes it is better if the team's bad, right? There's more, you know, controversy and, you know, different things and uh, stuff to overcome. But when you're then, you know, if they finish last and even if they don't make the playoffs, I mean, if they, you know, finish fourth and don't make the playoffs, it's just like you're, you're rehashing the year, you know, four or five months after the season. I don't know why that's relevant, especially when you're taking it in the next spring training where you're going to have new players and there's going to be people that want to put that year behind them and have excitement uh, about that up, upcoming year, especially if they do more in free agency. So, yeah, I just think that it's interesting that, you know, it's such a a long, you know, it, it's going to take a long, such a long time to produce. And, you know, those other documentaries before we move over to the prospect list, like the golf one, every episode kind of profile a different golfer. Some were winning, some were at the top of the game, some were not, you know, and the F1, like there's a winner at the end. Uh, it's a different kind of mode than following one team where the result is going to be you know, the same. And I think that's why I bet that this is more geared toward the personalities, toward the grind conflicts, all that type of stuff. From what we've heard, it's going to be pretty invasive. They don't have final cut, all that type of stuff. So something interesting, something that's going to probably change our lives logistically a little bit, having all those people around. Um, Hot Mike Smitty, I think is a dangerous game to play. We'll see that start next week. Um, Let's move on to the prospect ranking. Smith, this is a project that you have not done in a long time, at least since I've been at Mass Live, but coming out with your top 25 Red Sox prospects, it's been well-received throughout the week. And today, as we speak on Friday, you put out the final edition, the final installment of those prospects, numbers one through five. You started at 25 and worked all the way down to one. For those who missed it, not sure how you could. Number one is friend of the program, Roman Anthony. Number two, Marcelo Meyer. And number three, Kyle Teal. Number four, Miguel Blyce. And number five, Sedan Rafaela. So the big question, and I think the big question everybody has when it comes to Red Sox prospects and rankings and all that, we know there's a clear top three, Anthony, Meyer, and Teal in some order. I think it's clear there's a top two in terms of Anthony and Meyer. But why did you give the nod uh, after all this time, many years really, of 
Marcelo Meyer being the number one prospect in the organization and the best they've had in a while. Why is Roman Anthony the better prospect to you right now? Yeah, so I think that, you know, when you look at it, um, he reminds me, Roman Anthony reminds me a little bit of, you know, Tristan, you know, Casas and his ability to control the strike zone. And he's going to strike out some. Uh, you know, the strikeout rate might the strikeout rate might be 25, you know, percent of his plate appearances. However, he's going to have such an extremely high walk rate as well that, you know, I mean, that he's just a complete hitter that can control his own abreus somewhat like that also. But like, you know, you look at it and I think he had 38, like it's it's Salem before they promoted him to to Greenville and eventually he was promoted to Portland. He had like 38 walks and 38 strikeouts. Um, He consistently stayed around 19, 18, 19% wherever he went last year in walk percentage. Um, So when I look at prospects, you know, I like to look at, you know, batting average more than just, you know, certain, I like to look at strikeout percentage, um, walk percentage, batting average, um, base percentage. But, you know, when you look at him, you, you can look at like a, a, a Michael Chavis, like back in the day where, you know, his strikeout rate was extremely high in the, in the minors. And, you know, so you could kind of tell like with the, with the, uh, walk rate the walk rate wasn't very high right so like when when he got up to the majors there was a lot of fastballs up in the zone that he was swinging and missing at roman anthony i mean there's there's pitches that tristan last year swung and missed at plenty of times um but he's able to control the strike zone nowhere uh a pitches that he can handle uh lay off certain pitches you know, use this as just such strike zone discipline. And, you know, and Roman Anthony is rated uh, by baseball Americans having the best strike zone discipline of anybody in the Red Sox system. So over Marcelo, um, Marcel obviously had, so, you know, when I look at that, yes, he's going to strike out a bit, but he's just got the ability to, you know, there's, you know, uh, where some weaknesses like, uh, like a Michael Chavis was not able to overcome some of those he's going to be able to overcome it just by the ability to control the strike zone and everything. And so, um, you know, I look at him and, you know, uh, I've talked to, you know, some people and then I've also asked, you know, Chris, Chris Hatfield who has Roman Anthony number one and Marcelo number two on Sox prospects. Uh, Alex Spear did one where he wrote an explanation. Um, you know, I, I think that Marcelo, obviously, the, the strikeout rate and the numbers tailed off at Greenville last year after the shoulder injury. And so I think we can account for the shoulder injury as to why he didn't, you know, hit that much in Portland. I get You can also account for the fact that he was like, what, three and a half years younger than the average player at Portland. And so I still have you know, they're still neck and neck. It's not like this is something where I just think, you know, like I'm. it's it's an indictment on, you know, Marcelo's year last year when he got to Portland, how he didn't hit, you know, and he struggled and, and the numbers weren't there. Um, I just think that Roman Anthony is a special player just because of his ability to strike, you know, uh, control the strike zone. He did play better defense than some thought he would in center field uh, and some project that he could stay in center field. 
um, you know, long-term in the majors and, you know, and he's got, you know, he's got awesome power and everything. So he's, he's got a very similar game to the Tristan, I think. And so I would put him, uh, you know, similar offensive profile. Uh, I would put him number one because of that. You, you referenced uh, Anthony uh, playing in center field. Where do you see they're, – they're both middle-of-the-field defenders, obviously. Meyer has mostly played short, though there's some speculation that maybe he could play second. Anthony has played center, but he's also played a little bit of the corners. What do you think are their defensive ceilings uh, for, for both players? I think that Meyer probably has a higher defensive ceiling. I mean, you know, you look at it, and he is a plus defender – um, great range, uh, you know, good arm, um, just steady in the in the infield. He could play second base, third base with with Story. Um, he could Story could go back eventually to second base, and he could play uh, shortstop. Um, actually, one of the the top prospects I had number six was Cespedes. If you look at Baseball America, um, you know, and they have a project in two thousand, they have a projected two thousand and twenty seven Red Sox lineup. And they have Cespedes, who's just 18 years old now, as the second baseman. Marcelo at you know shortstop. Uh, they have uh, Roman Anthony in right field, and um, you know they also. And then they have Rafaela in center. So I think that defensively, Marcelo's a little bit higher. Um, but I think people were really impressed by what um, you know Anthony did in center field last year and i think that you know as we saw with mookie betts right field can be as as valuable if he moves to right field i mean mookie betts was a he you know he was a center fielder playing right field and so um you know both those positions are equally important in boston and so you know i look at them um yeah um probably marcel has the better chances of staying up the middle than than Anthony, but still, it's incredibly valuable to have somebody in right field too. With you know that, that has that defensive ability because of the space, and you know more, more you know just a lot of th- things that are going on there. So, Chris, you, as everybody who has ranked this system in recent months, even years, do not have many high end pitchers in the top twenty five. I think you have quickly looking. Six or seven out of 25, which is, you know, maybe higher than even some other people do. The top seven are not pitchers. Uh, in the top 15, you have three. That's Wickelman, Gonzalez, Luis Perales, and Richard Fitz. All three have been in the news this winter. Gonzalez and Perales added to the 40. Fitz coming over in that Verdugo trade. Um, why are they in that order? You know, Wickelman, eight, Perales, nine, and Fitz, 11. Do you see a gap there? And and do any of those guys have the ceiling to be a good major league starter? Or are the Red Sox as doomed in that department as they have been for the last 15 years? So I think the most interesting thing with bringing in, you know, Craig Breslow and Willard and all these guys, the driveline, you know, baseball guy, and is that they are going to build this infrastructure, you know, uh, a new pitching infrastructure. And that should help guys like Gonzalez and, you know, Perales and, and with those two, you know, I have them eighth and ninth, they've got, you know, tremendous potential Uh, Gonzalez, you know, they both throw 99 miles, 98, 99 miles per hour. They have, you know, really good secondary pitches that rank 
uh, you know, near the top, uh, secondary wise, uh, in the Red Sox organization, my prospects. And, but, you know, the scary thing with both of them is walk rate, right? Like, the, you know, we've seen so many guys that they've, you know, said over the years is, is going to be the next, you know, big thing. And, you know, Darwinson Hernandez, I mean, he had so much potential. Right. Uh, and, uh, and zero control. What's that? And zero control. I mean, if you look at it, though, like his first year with the Red Sox, Darnson Hernandez, I mean, the batting average against was ridiculous, right? Like mm -hmm. no one could hit off of him. <laughs> he walked the house, though. And so for these two guys, that why they have them like eighth and ninth instead of maybe fifth or sixth is because, you know, I want to see them, you know, get better command. And, and you know, that obviously is a thing with young pitchers. I mean, if you throw hard, a lot of young pitchers who throw hard, you know, don't have great command. Uh, a lot of guys who don't throw hard, um, you know, are the 89, 90. Those are the guys with the really good command, but they don't throw hard. So, you know, it's, it's you know, so, you know, I look at them as like, you know, they could both end up in the bullpen uh, or, you know, Gonzalez could end up as, you know, a, a Bayo type. But the difference between them and Bayo is, is that, you know, Bayo, um, look at his walk. Per I, can't, I don't have his walk percentage off the top of my head right now, but it was probably in the twos, right? Like in with Boston last year, he probably averaged like 2.4 walks per nine innings. And so Bayo, as a young guy, throwing hard, has that command, whereas these guys don't have it right now. And I think that, you know, Breslow and all of what they're building uh, – you know, it's to help develop those guys, right? Like, you know, and then there's other guys that I have and that, you know, that I think can benefit from, you know, this new infrastructure a lot, like, you know, Hunter Dobbins, you know, like he has, I'm, I'm high on him. I think he's got really good stuff. Um, Number you know, 20 he, in the rankings, by the way. Yeah. And I think some people ranked him like, you know, baseball America might've had him a little lower than that, maybe 26 or 27, you know, I just look at him as a guy that throws hard and get it up to 97. He's got, you know, good control. Um, he's got, you know, several pitches. That's just a lot to work. You know, he was a guy that, you know, in 2021 coming out of college before that, you know, junior year, some people thought he'd be a late first rounder, second, uh, early second rounder. And then he had Tommy John and he missed his entire, you know, finals year of college and he dropped to the eighth round. So th this is a guy that they've got a lot to work with, right? Like a guy that can throw hard, that has good control, that has some good secondary pitches. Well, you know, maybe they they were Breslow was able to get, you know, the the most out of some guys that were, you know, top prospects in that Chicago system. We saw young pitchers in that Chicago system really take off. Uh, and so maybe he's able to get guys like that even beyond just the Gonzalez's and the Perales's uh, with the highest ceilings, guys like that, you know, that, that, you know, can, and, and I'd put Fitz in that category too, because yeah, like, that was, that's, that's my next question. So good job. Well, yeah, Fitz is interesting because like, you know, he was telling me at the rookie program thing, like, you know, the harder he throws, the better command he has. And I'm like, Oh, you know, usually people, uh, you know, tone it down a few miles per hour to, to rein in the command sometimes. And no, he, he has better command and throws it where he wants in the strike zone when he throws it harder and he likes to be 95 or over. And, you know, so um, 
you know, he has that potential with the, you know, as I said, the control is so important. We saw it with Bayo. We've seen it with so many, you know, guys that, um, you know, and we've seen it the other way, obviously, as I said, with, you know, Donaldson Hernandez and other guys that just can't, you know, figure it out control-wise. That, that can mean the difference right there. And if you throw hard and you have good control, you know, I can see why a Fitz would be exciting to somebody like Breslow, uh, you know, and why he traded for him. So, you know, so I think those guys right there should be interesting. And, and I am also working on another piece where just the fact that, you know, this is hopefully going to go in between my spring training stints because I want to talk to some people about this and drafting and developing talent, you know, in the Red Sox organization. The Red Sox just haven't drafted many pitchers in the top three rounds at all compared to other teams. Um, you know, they had they didn't draft anybody in the first round at all under Bloom. I think they drafted one guy in the first five rounds or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And so, um, or maybe one guy in the first three rounds, but whatever, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. They need to do that and they need to develop those guys. So they've got some guys here and then you've also got to get guys, you know, the, some prospects here and, and really go at it with them and see, you know, some, some guys in the draft, I think they need to draft high guys. So, yeah. So I look at, that's why I put, you know, some of those guys like higher than other people have them like Dobbins is because I think he, it fits maybe, uh, because I think they have the potential with what they're going to work with in terms of the pitching infrastructure that we hear so much about that they're installing. Let's talk about some outfielders on the list here. Um, a bunch of them in sort of the second half of the top 10. You've got Miguel Blaise, who missed most of last year with a shoulder separation. You have Sedan Raffaella, who we've referenced. Uh, Abreu, Will Your Abreu, who is probably going to get some significant playing time. And then Four, Jared 400, Duran, 400 plate appearances, according to Tom Warner, because he sets the lineup. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Jaron Duran, who is obviously not a prospect anymore, but still a young emerging player. Uh, you know, that's the heart of the outfield picture going forward, along with Roman Anthony. Uh, talk to us about what you see with those guys. And then maybe if they have to make a trade to get some pitching at some point, which one is the guy that they should choose to move and who are the three that they need to keep? Yeah, so um, my concern going into this, I think that, you know, I was actually debating over Raffaella and, you know, Breu five and six, which one should I put higher? And I put Raffaella uh, higher just because he has a, you know, a humongous ceiling in terms of gold glove potential. And, you know, uh, he's led the Red Sox minor league system past two seasons in extra base hits. He had over, you know, he had 54 extra base hits in the minors last year, but he had you know, eight more, whatever in the, in the ma in the majors last year. So each of the past two seasons, Raphael has had over 60, you know, extra base hits and, you know, his gold glove potential, his speed, uh, you know, in, in the ability to also play shortstop at above average level. So I, I feel like overall his ceiling is higher. I like a Brayu though. Well, you know, I like a Brayu more because of that play discipline and, you know, his ability to control the strike zone, the strike zone, which is, you know, incredibly important. I mean, I think the Red Sox have put more emphasis on, you know, guys that can have high walk rates and bat to ball skills recently. Uh, it started with time and we'll see if it, you know, continues with Breslau, but 
you know, the interesting thing with this this outfield mix, you know, going into the year is, and I've, I, I'll keep saying it, is like Tyler O'Neill has been on the IL, tw- you know, 12 times in six major league seasons. And Abreu, I talked to him at the end of the year. He's going to work on, you know, uh, strengthening his, his uh, you know, hamstrings. But he's had hamstring issues throughout the minors, including last year where he was limited to 80-something games, you know, with Worcester. And so... Um, you look at it and there, there's two guys that, you know, you don't know how healthy they're going to stay, uh, you know, be. And Raphael is probably going to begin, you know, the year of triple A just because what we saw last year with him, you know, the, the chase rate, uh, I'll look at the numbers here. The chase rate was 38.8%. The, the whiff rate was 29%. The strikeout rate was 31.5 and the walk percentage was one four point five. in the minors. Uh, Raphael has only walked 105 times in 1800 plate appearances. He's got a 5.7 walk percentage. And so like, you know, he needs more development time in Worcester. And these guys have like a guy like Abreu is probably going to get the job on the opening day roster because of, you know, that, that difference in plate ability, plate discipline ability. So I think that, you know, when you look at these guys and who they should trade, um, you know, I think all these guys are going to, because they're thin out, I would obviously, if I was uh, Breslow, I would go out and get another outfielder before, you know, opening day. But, you know, because you're going to have Raffaello who might not be ready, have to go if somebody lands on the IL real quick. And so, um, but, you know, I think that obviously, you know, Raffaello is a guy that, um, you know, you could sell high on. I mean, he's got, uh, you know, top, uh, he's on top 100 lists. He was just on baseball America's top 100 list. Um, you know, the stats that he put up at AAA were off the charts last year. Um, but there's also those concerns about, you know, like, you know, not being able to, you know, having a high strikeout rate and not being able to walk, like just swinging at bad pitches. And so that would be a guy I would look to first to trade, um, you know, and, and, um, Jared Duran, I think um, he has value, obviously, right now. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, they need to keep, you know, certain guys, too, because of what they don't they don't actually have, right? Like, because they're so thin. But he's another guy that, you know, you look at it and he has potential to be traded. Um, you know, just a lot of improvements he made last year, obviously. Like, you know, there was pitches in the strike zone. I think it was high strikes with him too, like that he wasn't hitting as a rookie and that, you know, he made those adjustments on and, you know, he showed better defense, uh, better jumps and stuff. He still has a lot of room to improve, you know, defensively. Maybe that's a guy though, that you trade it for Bray. shows like if he comes up and he shows, you know, what he can do and, and, you know, they have, but they also have to think about, defensive mix right like two because defensively i mean abreu's got a good arm i'm not totally sold on his defense uh they need somebody to play center field right and so um yeah that's why i would go out and get somebody else too so you know there's a lot of factors that go in there but um you know i look at like rafaela and you know in 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 um and Abreu and those are guys like that I you know are just really good potential but you just don't know either moving back into the infield you have Nick York who had been 
as high as top five on some other lists in the past. Um, I think Sox Prospects has him at six. You have him at the end of your top 10 at number 10. Uh, why is he slipped in your mind and what do you project for him? Yeah, so, you know, I, I actually wrote in the article that maybe it's unfair to put him at, at uh, you know, 10, okay? Because, you know, I mean, he... He actually last year when he got off to the strong star, he actually jumped back on to I think it was it was either Baseball America's or MLB Pipeline's top, you know, one hundred prospect list. And then he had a bad second half and he dropped out. Actually, had a good August, but you know, overall his year was like you know I think it was a seven sixty eight OPS. And it's like what he showed his first year uh, with the Red Sox, and it was. You know, he was, it was his, I think it was his 20 or his 19 year old season. Uh, you know, he came in, it was absolutely, you know, crazy what he did in terms of, you know, having a slugging percentage of 516 and having an on base or an OPS of 928, hitting for power, uh, 11.8 walk rate. His walk percentage got better as the year went on. He only had a 15.6% strikeout percentage for a 19 year old kid, you know, that's in his first year of first full season of pro ball. And I haven't really gotten that much opportunity to talk to Nick. Uh, and I hope to get some at spring training because, you know, maybe he put more focus on the power uh, or, you know, on his swing, having more, you know, um, launch and stuff like that, because we've seen the, the, you know, he baseball America ranks there's has like you know for everybody that best control or in the system best you know best slider best fastball with you know position players they have best batter for batting average best hitter for play discipline and Roman Anthony gets the best hitter for play discipline well you know the best hitter for average this year and they just updated it, is Nick York already hit 268 you know that was his batting average last year so there's a lot more in there, and that's why I put him at 10. Now, um, you know, as I said, that maybe is unfair to him because he's still so young. I mean, he's – I'm trying to look at it here. I think, yeah, he'll turn 22 on April 2nd. So it's like, you know, I'm looking at a, a couple of years here, and he, they were in his 20s and 20 – when he was 20 and 21, right? Like, you know, and as I said with Meyer, like you're going against people that are a lot older than you, right? And so maybe that's being unfair. But um, as I said, the 15.6% strikeout percentage, his strikeout percentage actually like went down his first year as he as his time went on. And his walk rate went up as his time went on. And he actually hit better at Greenville than he did Salem. And so his strikeout percentage over the past uh, two years, it was 25%. Uh, with his down year and some of that was injuries right like you know in 2022 uh, but it stayed at 20 it was at 24 percent last year so for him to build up and get back back to where I want like that he could be on that prospect list I'd like to see him hit for average like baseball America says he can right and also you know lower the strikeout rate and increase the walk uh, the walk rate's been pretty good uh, despite everything, but I'd like him to, because I look at him as a guy that, you know, can make contact and hit the ball and bat for average. And I want to see that more 
than what he's shown the last two years. He got off to a good start last year, but he did struggle in the second half. Smith, last one for you here. Just we know about the big-time guys, whether that be Anthony or Meyer, Teal, Rafaela, Abreu. The pitchers are close. York's at Major League Camp. There's guys on that list who are going to make an impact in the major leagues this year. Uh, you know, probably one of the top three at least. We've seen Rafaela and Abreu in the majors, guys like that. Give me a dark horse. Give me a wild card guy. Whether you think, you know, you always have these guys that you're super high on, like we joked about the last time you were on here, but like, who's the guy in this top 25 that maybe you have higher than a lot of people or you think can be a legitimate major leaguer sooner rather than later that, you know, maybe Abreu was the guy last year, right? He was not ranked very high when we saw what he did in September. Who's that guy now? So I look at like, you know, not to down anybody's list. I mean, they, you know, this is, as we said, Abreu, as you just said, Abreu was 22nd last year on, I think, Baseball America's list going in the year, and now he's sixth. It's extremely hard to predict what guys are going to do and put together these lists. And obviously very smart people who have seen these guys, uh, you know, make the lists. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult process. And so like, but the way I look at it is, is that, you know, so I'm not saying that, you know, I, I criticize somebody for having like baseball America for having David Hamilton as their 20th prospect. But we have seen David Hamilton, like he isn't as good of a defender as, you know, it was made out to be. Uh, you know, he obviously is an extremely good fast runner, uh, but he really hasn't gotten on base to, you know, help that, you know, steal bases and stuff. And, and you know, his offense, he starts good and it, it has declined each of the past, well, he's been in the system for two years and it's declined each year. So like I look at a guy like that and I try to look at like the 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 you know the 25 and the 24 and the 23 spot like I just I'm going to use those on guys that have you know more potential and I think higher ceilings than a, a David Hamilton. And so like I look at you know Christian Campbell who you know he's not as high on I don't think he made the top 30 on baseball America. He's 40 46 on Sox prospects right now. But I think this is a guy that's going to zoom up because if you look at like, you know, Chase Mydroth, who was a, a, a fourth round pick the year before, he was the first guy in 2022 draft class to make it to double A Portland. And it was because of his ability to hit, you know, for, for, uh, or his ability to get on base. Uh, he led all Red Sox minor leaguers with a 408 on base percentage. Even when he struggled at times when he went up to Portland, he was still getting on base at a high rate. Because his walk percentage was extremely high, and so I look at Trist, I look at uh, Christian uh, Campbell as somebody that has that ability, like Mydroth, who can you know make a significant leap this year because he has that ability. Um, you know, I don't know where Baseball America gets these numbers uh, because, like, you know, if they're from who tracks these things in college, but Baseball America had his, you know, uh, Campbell's contact rate at 90 percent in 94 percent in the zone uh last year when he was at georgia tech so this is obviously a guy that you know can has bat to ball skills uh he's a little low, I, I think he's what 21 or 22 and so he's you know he's got some maturity from being in college and you know i just look at him as having a high ceiling of a guy that can zoom up so maybe you know he's high right now at 24 at 25 but 
you know, ultimately, I think that he could be in the teens by the end of the year on some of these other lists. And so, you know, I look at him and, um, you know, you, you you also look at him and, you know, he was drafted as a shortstop. They played him uh, a lot of third and second and, and left field even. And if you look at a video that Greenville put out, I mean, he made extremely good uh, catch in left field when he really hasn't had much experience in the outfield. And so, you know, he's athletic and he shows, you know, that ability to, you know, play multiple positions. And and so I just look at him as a guy instead of like if I'm debating over like him or Hamilton. Well, I've seen Hamilton and I think this guy has a better ceiling. Actually, one of the guys that I was um, that I was debating over Campbell and uh, Luis Guerrero for the number 25 spot, actually, you know, 24, 25. Franklin, I think his last name is Arias, the the shortstop prospect, Mm -hmm. uh, the 24. Those were three guys that I was trying to fit into the two final spots. And I actually had, you know, at times I had Luis Guerrero on there instead of, you know, Campbell. And I think Luis Guerrero is an interesting guy that we can look at this year. Uh, He's going to be a local kid, right? Yeah, well, he I think he went to high school in Florida and he was born in the Dominican Republic, but he was he did live in Hyde Park, I think, for mm-hmm. a while. So, um, you know, a guy that throws extremely hard. I was looking at what he was doing, you know, uh, you know, at, at Worcester in terms of fastball velocity. I think he got up to, you know, 100 and, you know, he's extremely interesting. And there's some uh, secondary pitches there that are obviously interesting, too. Um so, you know, I was looking at that guy as a potential 25 guy, uh, but you got to pick somebody, right? right. And um, But that's like a guy that I would put on the edge there that could make an impact at the, the major leagues. The other thing with, with Guerrero, though, too, is you'd like to see a little bit better of a command. You can get away with that more in the bullpen than you can as a starting pitcher. Um, there's In the secondary stuff, I heard that, there was one pitch that was kind of off last year. I don't have the exact pitch in front of me, but um, that was better in previous years. So, you know, I mean, that's how I kind of decided on the final, like, you know, last boss. Well, Chris, that is obviously a ton of work that went into it. And uh, readers at Mass Live appreciate it. It's a good series and um, rest up this weekend as well after putting all that together. Sean, one more time for the good people at home. How do you text all three of us and get – in some cases, instantaneous responses. In some cases, vacation delayed, as I will be in South Florida this weekend, and I will not be checking this portal, but you two will, and so people will, therefore, uh, get to experience the Red Sox insider text. And what you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link to subscribe, which is free for the first 14 days, and then an entirely affordable charge of $4.99 will crop up on your credit card statement monthly, and you'll think that is the bargain of the century. After you exchange questions, comments, and supply material for the Fenway Rundown podcast. All you three know, of I us. Just, I just have one thing. Yeah. Probably things that you pay for at $4.99 that you don't even know you pay for. Right. That should be so, part of the ad. <laughs> All right. Go on. I'm sorry. Uh, all three of us heading down to Florida for spring training in the next few days. Plenty of coverage from down there, but for now, this is our last Massachusetts-based Fenway rundown for a little while.
This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.